Welcome to TC Tiawi Talks, Tia Chucha Centro Cultural, located on Tataviam land in the northeast San Fernando Valley, is rooted in ancestral knowledge, culture, the arts, literacy, and social justice as a means to personal and communal transformation. It is a place where hearts and minds have united for change for over 19 years. Join us as we share the stories of personal transformation and our understanding of the world that unites us as a community. We must remember that another world has always been possible. Tiawi, a Nahuatl word for adelante, to move forward. Like a spiral, together we move towards a better future, cognizant of the resiliency we carry from our past. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of TC Tiawi Talks. My name is Michael Centeno. I am the executive director for Tia Centro Cultural and Bookstore. And in this episode, Melissa San Vicente, our associate director and myself, sit down and talk with our co-founders, Luis J. Rodriguez and Trini Rodriguez, as well as our Celebrating Words Festival coordinator, Karina Ceja. We sit and we talk about our 20th year anniversary, as well as the different locations that the Chuchas has called home over the years. If you haven't had a chance to already, please check out our new home at 12677 Glen Oaks Boulevard in Somar, California, 91342. Visit us at org, as well as any of our social media accounts at Chuchas. And don't forget, if you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast, TC Tiawi Talks. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy. We want to hear uh, a little bit from our co-founders, um, Luis and Trini, uh, just kind of like what was what was the inspiration uh, more than 20 years ago to kind of get this space um, started? I will have to tell you that I think it was Enrique Sanchez, who is our brother-in-law, who had been working on development projects in the Sanford, uh, Northeast San Fernando Valley. and um, he came to us and tell me if I'm not wrong, Trini, but he came to us and said if we'd be interested in creating uh, a, a cafe, we didn't call it, we didn't give it a name yet, but a cafe, a uh, cultural cafe. Um, and they were kind of in the 60s and 70s in the Chicano movement, they were kind of popular in different neighborhoods. They had these cultural cafes pop up. I think we preceded the idea even before the yuppies took it on. Uh, these were cafes where people could hang, people could actually do readings. And then, of course, in Chicago, where me and Trini spent many, many years at, uh, I was very active in the cultural cafes that were all over Chicago doing poetry readings and other things. So it was a good idea. And if I'm not mistaken, it was Enrique that came to us with this idea. And then we decided to be the founders, me, Trini, and him, uh, first of um, a limited liability company. That would be all three of us. And um, that's how we started. And I have to say that it was really the funding that I was able to get out of Always Running, but also some major grants because of my writing world uh, that was able to help us with the funding because um, it's a blessing that I have Always Running. You know what I mean? I have a big book. It's a blessing that we have that recognition very few people can do these kind of things. I know a lot of people try to start them. We've talked to people and they say, well, we just don't got the kind of money. Uh, we had that to help. So I don't know, Trini, maybe you can add some more things. Yeah, the other, th I remember a little bit differently. Yes, um, Enrique, because he, he knows about um, development and does development, 
um, he was he was critical to us being able to do it because you know you need you need somebody with that kind of skill and he had it but the initial conversation was really we were because because all of us have been active in community for so long uh, we were we were talking to Enrique and Enrique and all three of us actually were kind of uh, commiserating about the fact that there really wasn't any spaces to to do um, you know to celebrate culture and and possibility and all those different things and you know we were in some ways we were kind of slipping into this this um, just complaining <laughs> and we actually realized that you know if we could complain all we want and we could complain for the next 20 years or we would have to just realize that if it was going to happen, we were going to have to do it. So that's as I, that's how I remember it. It was a conversation where we were just um, just acknowledging that there was so little in this area because we had come back from Chicago, where it was so vibrant and there were, the arts were alive and supported, and artists were everywhere, and poetry, and just it was just so different. Um, it was sad to me that I would back to Pocuano where I grew up and there was no no sign of that kind of vibrancy and it was just um, I don't know I just couldn't I couldn't see that it was just too drastic a contrast so that's how that that's what initiated it and then of course uh, he was he was Enrique was able to you know propose that well let's do it then and and of course we had a, we had a house that we had sold in in Chicago, and so we had a bit of money too, aside from uh, what you know, Louise writing and all that. But um, and so we we figured we can do it. We're we're not hurting right now. We can do it, and that's what we did. Can I add something, Michael? Um, you got to remember, LA twenty years ago had laws against murals which is totally crazy because we used to be called the mural capital of the world. Right. And then also had graffiti abatement laws. In other words, they would put millions of dollars to get rid of graffiti, even if it wasn't beautifully done, but no money to create murals. So we were in a um, cultural um, uh, desert, you know what I mean? Uh, in this particular part of the valley, the Northeast Valley, as I always say, but I think, I think it, it really resonates with people, for half a million people, there was no bookstores, no culture centers, really no comprehensive ones, no art galleries, maybe one or two that I remember, but they weren't very big. Um, there was no movie houses. It doesn't make sense for half a million people, uh, <clears throat> mostly working class, a lot of poverty in this area, but mostly Mexican, Central American. Uh, again, there's African American, there's some white, some Asian, but the vast majority were Mexican, Central American, and there was nothing for them to get cultural life. But what we did find out as soon as we got things going, there was culture in the streets, in the homes. We found out that the, the waiter at one of the Italian restaurants we went to, a Chicano, Mexican guy, was a great poet. We found out that the lady that sold tamales in Pacoima could sing. We find out that there was artists, uh, you know, great artists living in the community that were doing their art without any recognition. And uh, we, it, it, they were, it was there. The artists and the poets and the singers and them were all there. They just didn't have a place to go. So, it, yeah, it, I, I would have to say that, that that was really true. I, growing up in this area, I knew that there were, there's always been a lot of people 
um, from the community, women and men, uh, youth too, who have um, done things regardless of support and regardless of spaces. But usually those space, and then when there were like little um, community centers and stuff like that, they didn't really concentrate on the arts. They concentrated on services and on bringing people together. But the arts were not an element that was really uh, promoted or really, again, because of it's, um, it's kind of this limited view of what's important and what, what, what's luxury and that arts were a luxury. You know, we just got to make, make ends meet. We have to, we have to um, get what we need. And, and of course, there was a lot of needs. So unfortunately, a lot of the spaces, there were spaces, a lot of organizing spaces and a lot of other, you know, uh, service providing spaces, but not, not arts and culture spaces. So not, not with that kind of um, a thrust. And I think that for, for us, we've discovered um, that our impulse was right, that the, the arts are so critical to transforming, but also to healing. And that's a lot of what, what we've, um, we've come to address too, that, that the arts are not just a fun thing to do. The arts are a way to get deep into the kind of things that we need to uncover and then reveal and then also transform. Wow. So in addition to all the talented people that existed here already, like you mentioned, the, the people that were, you know, the, the waitress, the person selling tamales, there's also a lot of young people in the area mm -hmm. who had a desire to see a change in their community or had a desire for the arts or a place to kind of just a space to come together and meet other like-minded individuals. So myself included, I was one of those young people. Um, but also Melissa San Vicente, our now associate director. So I wanted to, uh, one, have Melissa introduce herself, but also share kind of what was your initial um, introduction to Tia Chuchas? You know, my, my first introduction really to Tia Chuchas was, well, <laughs> our founder, Luis J. Rodriguez, um, he came to my Mexican-American studies class at Silmar High School. Um, you know, it's since we were since we were reading the book. And uh, from there, in that in in that introduction, he let us know really about the start of the Achuchas Cafe Cultural and uh, the initiation of this of this space that was you know, meant to nurture the arts, cultura, and at the time as a 17-year-old young uh, Chicana, I was really in search of my identity, my cultura, and really kind of just finding a space that could help me even, you know, continue reaffirming that identity and learning more about myself. And I, the moment I found out, I jumped. <laughs> I was really excited and I went to Tia Chucha's Cafe Cultural um, and I got to see the space before it was like fully open. Um, but I, it was, it was definitely something that I feel like a lot of young kids, youth uh, were definitely in need for and it was, it was like the universe answering that that call, you know, and because I mean, I constantly went to Los Angeles con mi familia, you know, I'm, I came to the valley when I was five years old. And 
um, yeah, there, there wasn't, there wasn't much, right? So certain things that I got, I got from my high school, you know, and I'm really, you know, grateful for that too. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, I just, I'm just really grateful for, for this space coming to life, right? And then, and here we are 20 years later, and at one point, the Achuchas has just constantly been part of that nurturing of myself, my growth, um, the community, and, you know, getting to know friends who I can, I, I feel like I call family now, and um, also was, you know, Trini and Louie always kind of being the guide, a uh, guide to us and support system to us as well. Uh, it's a little bit of everything, you know, that I feel like the Achuchas um, has provided, and especially in those times as a as a young mujer, uh, so yeah. Could I so, could I interject? I think she's Melissa. I think you're being modest here, <laughs> and I just want to say I remember Melissa. One of the things that struck me so so strongly about her was that she also when she found out about the space, she didn't just come and and visit the space she also wanted to bring something to the space. And she was very much uh, involved with music. And she said, can I, uh, you know, there's, there's these young people and they're, they're playing music in their garage and in their backyard. And sometimes that doesn't work well. And so can we have it here? And she, you wanna tell us? Well, first of all, I just remember her flyers. They were so good. And I thought, you know what? This is, this, it will call people, of course. So anyway, do you, and then, and then maybe you can tell us a little bit about um, how deep you've gotten into your culture, the kind of things that you've not only learned, but also that you now share. So. Yeah, I can go a little into that. And you are very correct. I think since I wanted to volunteer and uh, I mean, I was trying to get a job too, you know, <laughs> but that didn't work out. A part of me, oh, you know, still knew that I wanted to be involved in this space. Actually, it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> it did right uh but yeah i was really connected to you know some of the uh like i said like arts and cultures right but through through my school and a lot of the music that a part of me wanted to organize like an acoustic show an acoustic um, show with the local bands at school and it was really beautiful to just kind of come to a place you know right with Rini and just kind of allowing me to do to be able to bring that to life and um <clears throat> yeah I actually still remember the show I know it got a little chaotic but it's all good it's almost hoveness you know we're, we're young um but it came with a lot of a lot of lessons right and I just always really appreciate um you know Trini supporting that and, you know, a lot of the flyers that we used to do then, and it was just, you know, putting writing with like papers on top of like, I think I did like this um, Cicado's probably like picture and put over um, <clears throat> like the information and then just photocopied it as old school flyer making. Um, but yeah, it was really fun, you know, and a lot of good memories. And, and you're right about I, because of the Achuchas, I really got connected to like my ancestral knowledge. I started doing, you know, Danza Azteca and really delved into finding more about our ancestral knowledge, history, um, 
and you know how that how that still affects us today but also it brings so much um beauty and lessons and traditions that you know i still i still practice till this day um and i was learning here at the achichas when i was 18 19 years old uh so yeah it's it's kind of like full circle right here we are 20 20 years later and um yeah we have this you know program the indigenous in us which is kind of just uh overall nurturing of that ancestral knowledge and uh continuation uh, i think a lot of people don't realize that when they think of the hhs now they don't realize that it started as a for-profit business right a coffee shop bookstore uh, and it even seems like to start a small business now it's almost near impossible obviously there's a lot of challenges when you all started as well but it seemed like that was something more doable right uh 20 years ago but i wanted to see if y'all can share kind of the evolution uh, of how it became uh, an actual nonprofit and where that kind of uh that idea kind of came from and the effort around that a little bit well, well let me just say that uh, we, me and trini were talking about this this morning for us um the so-called business was really the exchange exchange of books, knowledge, awareness, uh, of teaching, you know, I mean, the exchange to me is what's important about um, commerce, that people don't have anymore the way it was because now it's all about profits. You know what I'm saying? Big profits. Uh, the, the capitalist system has uh, made uh, the business end of the world the predominant end of everything. Pretty soon even arts is profits. There's industries for everything. There's, it, it's just overwhelming. But what we wanted to do was to keep the exchange of books and ideas and music and art and dance and everything, including our indigenous cosmology, which both me and Trini were very strong on from the beginning. But um, doing it as an LLC uh, with the infusion of money from me and Trini uh, was, was, just, was too precarious. Um, we needed to make more money out of the space. And even though there was books there. This is new. We had to inculcate literacy and arts in our community. You know what I'm saying? People, I remember when they first, they didn't want to come in there when we first opened the door, even after we had a grand opening, because they were kind of like looking to see what it was. Uh, I remember people walking in there and we had artwork on the walls and they wanted to know what the, how much the frames were, because they thought we were a frame shop. And uh, people were scared, but over the years, people realize the power of books, the power of music, the power of arts, the power of everything that we do. So it's grown. Now we're stable in the community. Uh, kids love books. One of the first things that I love is that little kids come to read books at the Achuchas and get books and own books. And so <clears throat> I think the idea was that LLC was only limited up to a point. And then we realized that me and Trini weren't really wanting to make profit off the place. You know what I'm saying? That's not we created it. It wasn't like, we're well, going to feed our family. Uh, we never got any profit from it. And we also never even paid anybody. Trini, um, and I know people find this hard to imagine, but Trini worked for 17 years, full time, 40 to 60 hour weeks uh, for no pay. And people want to say, how can that be? How can you have slave labor? Well, it wasn't slave labor. It was what would you have to do to create a nonprofit in the world that we're in? If we paid her and tried to feed our families, the nonprofit wouldn't survive. It was a big sacrifice, but it was just the word 
the word of sacrifice being sacred. It was a sacred act on Trini's part, on our part, on my family's part. You know what I mean? To make sure that we could make sure it would happen. And I made enough money to keep my family in good shape. There's nothing was going to take away from raising my four kids, my, you know, the dog we have, you know, our household. We were going to take nothing away from our household. That had to keep going, but we also uh, needed theater just to have its own. I will add one thing that about 2003, we started the nonprofit. And we did it because I began to realize that we needed stakeholders. We needed community support. We needed community donations. We needed the community to feel that it's theirs. You know what I'm saying? Not just Luis and Trini's, that it's theirs, that they can feel, hey, I have a stake in this organization. So making a nonprofit, because nonprofits also have limitations. There isn't a nonprofit industrial complex. There's a world of nonprofits that did a lot of money and don't really resolve anything. I call them organized inadequacies. So we didn't want the issue just to be that, but we did want to get the idea that we're not here to profit any family, any person. We're here to benefit the community. And that we would get money from grants, which have been very, very important, from donors. We've gotten some great donations. And from uh, the business side of it, the so-called business, which is really not business, as Trini points out, it was really to have an exchange that will allow us to get money coming in for the services and or products that we could sell that would be beneficial for the community, like books. I don't know, Trini, you want to add? Yeah, it, it, and just so people know, it wasn't something that was, um, we didn't have, we had a business plan but truthfully, the idea of business plans sometimes put the cart before the horse because what we've come to learn is that the first part of a business plan is why are you doing it? What is, what is, the, what is the dream? And part of the dream, well, the dream was community empowerment, and which, is, which is why it had to necessarily become a nonprofit because uh, too often we have um, you know, enterprises that are, that, that are uh, basically to take care of the person who, who um, starts it and they get the bulk of the advantage. And that's not the point. The point is that it's supposed to be for the advantage and well-being of the community. And that's why we, we it, was, it was from the very beginning, we, we wanted to make sure that, it, that um, we were acting that out in fact you know, not, and with the way that we set it up. And it's always been also uh, not a hierarchical way of, of leading and creating. It's been one where we realize that we're all bringing something that's of value, skills and, and talent and, and all kinds of things. And, and the thing is to incorporate again for the, so that, so that the community can find those same things in themselves and, and, you know, do better by it. So, and and I have to say, one of the things when it when it became time to to shift to being a nonprofit, Luis. The good thing is that Luis has quite a bit of experience from Chicago with nonprofits, with the Guild Complex, and so on. And so he was able to bring that again. It's it's knowledge that that you need to as a foundation to do anything. And so it was um, it was also really important. So I see, I see the, the LLC, you know, starting as a business initially was really the seed to the, 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 the seed money, but it couldn't continue that way. We had to sustain it on the platform that is much wider, which is community and support and, 
and um, and funders and all that. So, and we try to have um, all this time, we've tried to maintain that same vision throughout the 20 years because we know that it's a, it's a strong one, it's still needed. And, and I think that's, but part of the thing is that it isn't just a vision that Luis and I carry, it's something that has been a, a embraced by, by others and very strongly. So that's really, um, that's really the advantage that we have, I think. So immediately once the space opened, you know, communities started coming out, um, like you mentioned earlier, people, artists, uh, people that wanted to tap into that part of themselves, people that wanted to learn about the ancestral knowledge. And when we look back at those five years, for me personally, I feel like those were like, like you know, the college years. It was like the most memorable years, all right, because it was such a strong community. Uh, it was, it was uh, a part of my, my young adulthood of meeting people that, like Melissa mentioned, lifelong relationships, but also uh, initially setting the course of the rest of my life. Those first five years in the cafe were 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 so great, and unfortunately, um, it got we got hit really hard uh, five years in. Um, and I wanted to see if y'all can share a little bit about that, and then the transition to our second space in Lakeview Terrace. So I I I think what what it was that yeah we had great art. I have to mention Juan Pueblo came out. And he did a lot of our murals. He did a lot of our work. We had Rick Ortega. We had Charles Borges. We had Joe Bravo. We had Margaret Garcia. Uh, Trini knows more of the people that would come out. Uh, Frank Romero. We had some great artists coming in to our space. Uh, but I'm just talking about the, the visual arts because we also had all the bands. We had Quetzal come by. We had uh, Santa Cecilia when they first started. We had... Uh, Chicano Batman in our festivals. We had so many of the, uh, the Las Cafeteras came through. We had so many people that are now well known coming through. Um, we work with people as big as Cheech Marin and as uh, small as the local, like I said, you know, local person that could sing. We had this open mic that brought in poetry, but also musicians and singers. Um, so I think the thing though that uh, was, well, for me, it's very important is that this kind of, um, it, it resonates with something that's deep and that's in our culture, in our community. The reason why we have an indigenous foundation is because indigenous people never really had a word for art, basically because everything was art. Everything, our life, nature, nature's art, human beings are art. What makes human beings human beings is that we're creative beings. Uh, creator, creative creation. We need both. Both those things have to come together. And that, I think, is what allowed us to be um, fruitful, if you're going to say. Now, here's what does happen. The business world comes in. So the developer that we first sent wanted to hire the rent. We had a five-year lease. It went up. They're going to hire the rent. And uh, we went to them and said, listen, man, we're not a for-profit like these other businesses. You have dry cleaners, you have a nail shop, you have Pizza Hut, you have, uh, you know, all kinds of businesses there. So we're really putting it back to the community. Uh, they didn't quite see it that way. They actually, we found out that they were really wanted to stop because they wanted to bring in a high-end laundromat, which actually did come in. They would get more money that way. They were going to get rid of the culture and the beautiful community space that helped invigorate that strip mall. They didn't care. They wanted to bring in the money. All these people are thinking about money. 
again, most developers, that's what they're about. They would let a, a place be abandoned rather than lower the rents. Nobody lowers rents in strip malls. You know, even when things are bad, economy's bad, they keep it at a high rent. They would rather have it abandoned until things pick up. And so that's why we were confronted. And it was sad because I remember coming there one time and thinking, I'm gonna have to close this place down. It was a really sad thing. And the reason why I didn't close it down is because I went to an open mic and it was so beautiful, the language and the words of people and the people that stepped up and the women and the mothers and the fathers. But this one eight-year-old girl kind of got up and started talking about her life at school. She didn't have a poem. She just says, I wanted to share. You know what I mean? And I just said, no, we're not going to close this place. We can't do it. We can't. The community needs this. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to need to keep it going. And that's what we decided to do. Maybe in another incarnation, we ended up going to Lakeview Terrace for a short time, uh, but we had to keep it going. We had to keep the momentum going. We couldn't let the developers stop us from doing what we needed to do. And I'll tell you one other thing. There was no relief for us. We couldn't go to the city, to the county. Hey, can you help us out? Can you give us some grant? At the time, there was no way to help us keep our rent going. And it was almost like, we don't care what happens to you. So I've always been putting forward this idea of a neighborhood arts policy. The neighborhood arts need to be safeguarded, need to be taken protected, need to make sure there's money and support, uh, that the landlords can't drive these places out. It hasn't been possible in the county, in the city or the state to do that, but we keep pushing it. You know, these you got whole communities culturally buried, whole communities with no movie houses. And as I always say, the entertainment capital of the world, Los Angeles, you can go for miles and miles and not even catch a movie. No bookstores you know, no, no, no cultural expression. So anyway, we wanted to make sure that people knew that we weren't going to give up no matter what. So I remember when we transitioned into our second space in Lakeview Terrace, and it was definitely an adjustment, right? Coming from this beautiful, <laughs> built cafe um, to kind of like a, a space almost half the size um, and still being able to try to accommodate it was it was definitely a big shift you know um, I remember setting up the new space well you know our second space and there was just um, yeah there was just a different feeling in the air right of kind of like a feeling of loss and mourning and whatnot that was, you know, took a minute to adjust in. And I was in that space just for a couple of months. Um, I think I was handling the books as the books uh, bookstore coordinator. But, you know, I decided, uh, you know, to transition out for a minute. Um, but I know one of the people that came, came in a little bit after that, um, who played a definitely a, a large significant role in the transition, right? And the work that the Achicha does is Karina Seha. So she can kind of, you know, let us know a little bit more about her experience coming in and, and being in that second space and, and then even then even transitioning to our third space, which is where we were the longest at. So I'll pass it on to you, Karin. Yeah, thank you, Melissa. Um, so I think, you know, I was before I came on board with Tia Chuchas in that second space, you know, I was... Um, I was a regular, like uh, as a college student, I would come into the first space and 
work there, drink coffee, go to the events. And um, having been, you know, hired on in that second space, I think now that you mention it, I didn't realize how much of a of a loss people might have been feeling at the time, you know, that it went from this, this super, you know, big, just a perfect space that really worked for TC for a long time. And then now moving to something that was like, yeah, like you said, half the size. Um, I was just excited to be a part of TC, you know. Um, I, I do want to give credit to Arlene. Arlene was already there. And I believe Arlene and Trini were the ones running everything at that time. They were doing all the programming, all the marketing, the publicity. And um, Trini brought me on board um, a, a year after I graduated college, I think. And she brought me on board as a Music LA uh, program director, uh, program, you know, uh, coordinator. And really it, it was, um, you know, I guess I was coming from not having, you know, ever worked for TC before that, um, you know, looking back, I realized how tough, you know, how big of a challenge it was to be in Sunland. Um, it was definitely a whole different community. It was a different energy. I think, you know, we had it even, um, and you know make sure that we talked about security when some of us stay there late to close um but attendance also i think i don't know at what point you know people may be um i think you know what i remember hearing is people saying that they thought we had closed indefinitely and so when they would find us again they were like oh i, I thought the yeah, test had closed and really we you know we had just moved um but it was definitely a challenge and we still you know did our best and we managed to have some really cool events there and you know i think the music la program really started to thrive at that point when they had somebody um in charge of it you know and that's what trini's trini's goal was is to to hand it over to someone and i was just excited to be there so. yeah it definitely was really excited um exciting all the time right to work um in your first time joining the Chucha team uh i know that you were really involved in the transition right to the third space um can you let us know a little bit about that yeah um you know i i think that that was um that was like the Chucha's like regaining their their footing i feel like you know it was almost like yeah we were still around but we were almost like I don't know, taking a break because I, you know, moving into that third location, I, I believe that we started to really build with the local community in, in a different way in Somar. Um, we were going back to Somar, but um, that was a time where, um, you know, Juan Pueblo came around that I remember seeing him, you know, maybe he was around before that, but, you know, he started coming around and, you know, taking care of all, a lot of the artwork that went into that third space. and. Um, and it was my first time really seeing, you know, I'm coming out of college, I'm coming out of Meta, um, and this is like the first time that I was um, doing that, that like community, that organizing that I was used to as a student, but really in a community setting. And um, everybody just, you know, seeing how people just came, came through for Tiachuchas and all the ways, right, when moving stuff, because really the staff was so small, the staff was, I think, might have been three of us, four of us at the most. Um, but, you know, it took a big effort to move and it, you know, it was like magic. It was like everybody came out of the woodwork. Everybody that 
you know, the Chuchas had been building before that um, really came through. And, you know, we, um, and it was just, it was a really beautiful experience. And one of the things I do remember, you know, was definitely working with Juan Pueblo, you know, as a community artist, as an elder. And also at the time, um, you know, moving into this new location in Somar, we were getting to meet people from around there and people were getting excited. You know, people were like, oh, what's going on? What are y'all, you know, doing, you know, working on? And I think that initial move really also started to to bring people in and like people were seeing it again more visibly um and you know in Silmar that um that's where you know I feel like I remember Violet you know Violet came riding her skateboard and and never left you know and so I feel like there was youth like that there was people that came around when we were moving in that helped us and it's almost like they were part of that foundation and I think folks really stuck around um for a long time after that and um, you know, it's just bearing witness to that was really powerful and um, I feel, you know, super lucky. So it was it was a beautiful thing seeing everything come together and, you know, um, kind of like doubling up our size again and and feeling a little bit more visible again um, was was exciting. You know, I, I did want to add that I, I do I do feel like that that the transition to that third space right was did bring back kind of like this vibrancy and this kind of like reigniting of the like the fire of Fiat Chuchas. And at the time I, I wasn't on the staff, right? I think I would volunteer and I would pop in here and there. Um, but every time I would like hear and see, and I remember being at the grand opening and it was just, it was just really beautiful to, to see that, that that's where, <clears throat> you know, that that's where the transition went. And um, you know, and I, we were talking, you know, a little bit earlier about, you know, the, um, you know, our, our gap year at, at Lakeview Terrace, yeah. but at the same time, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful, you know, that, you know, we were able to still have a space even during that time to be able to come to the, the third space, which is actually the space that we have now been in the longest for, we were there for 13 years. Um, so there is a lot of like beauty and vibrancy and and it here that just kind of just got fully reignited and 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 has brought us right to to where we are today. So yeah, just you know, thank you for tu trabajo and that that time and that time también, especially you know, it I felt it, you know, I felt it definitely all the time. Any uh, any thoughts on the new space twenty year anniversary that you'd like to share? Closing thoughts. Um, yeah, I think. Um, what can I say? I think you know things uh, come full circle, and I feel like, in, in in this case, instead of a circle, it feels like a spiral, and we're just like growing and growing and growing. And um, I'm excited. I I think that. Um, you know, we definitely have worked hard to be where we're at now, you know, thanks for the two of you too, for your leadership, um, you know, to get us to where we're at, you know, we work well as a team and I'm just excited about all the things that are coming, you know, having this bigger, you know, um, space, I think will allow us to, um, you know, to fulfill all of that growth that we've been doing, you know, recently and, um yeah and i think you know it's it's a testament to you know to our efforts to our work to our passion that you know we love the and we want to take it with us as, as far as we can and 
I'm excited. I, I think it's a beautiful space. I, you know, um, teaching my very first class ever, finally, and I think doors are opening, you know, and, um, and I want to go with the flow of the Jazz as well. Like, I want to grow with y'all and I want to grow with it. And so I'm excited. I'm excited and we totally deserve it. So thank you all for your work too. I think I think what's so valuable about this narrative, about this story, is just the resilience to keep pushing forward amongst, you know, various challenges uh, being presented. Um, and the issue just is still here, right? 20, 20 years later, there's so many challenges, so many struggles. Um, the behind the scenes that a lot of people don't get to see, as Louis mentioned, the hours and hours that um, trainees, staff, board, volunteers, so many people put behind it, community members, artists just to make uh, something like this uh, powerful. What, looking back at the 20 years, what is something that, um, just kind of to close it off, like how do y'all feel now, 20 years later, um, to see where we're at, where, where did you just is at now? I, I wanna, well, to me, yeah, um, again, sort of like Melissa, I think, Michael, you're being very, um, you know, you're not really sharing fully the kind of sacrifice that you've made. Because I remember you when you first came around, your suggestion was, why don't we have movies? And sure enough, because you're, you're a filmmaker, you're a filmmaker. And, and you have used that skill, um, you know, for making films. But, but, you know, to be truthful, you've, you've curtailed it a lot, partly because you've been making a sacrifice, even in your own art. To, to give to this other space and this other uh, project. And so, I don't know, I think that, I don't, did you wanna say how you feel about that? Because now you're executive director. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think it's, it's been a, a great journey to come in to a space as a volunteer. And I, I just feel honored and humbled to be in the position I am to, uh, you know, kind of lead the organization and work with Melissa on that effort to take the organization as far as we can um, and then hopefully pass it on to somebody else to take it on but um, I don't know I, I feel humbled honored to be to be able to do that uh, to be entrusted to do that um, it's I mean I, I think what's true for Melissa myself and others is that we've been directly impacted by the issues within the change within our own lives so we firsthand know the impact of what this work does. So I think that's why we work so hard to make sure that it continues to grow and thrive and impact more people. You know, I think this is what, if I say one thing that we've learned is uh, this is how you build legacy. And we've had in our communities many amazing cultural spaces and they haven't lasted. And it's not people's fault. There's economies, there's all kinds of things that gets in the way, rents, everything. We've had to confront all of that, but we had to keep saying we're going to keep going no matter how. Even as Trini points out, the two years we were in Lakeview Terrace was just a stopgap. We weren't really all fully there, but we kept things going. You know what I'm saying? The worst thing would have been if we would have just said stop, and then maybe two years later we'll start up again. We had to. The momentum couldn't stop. And I think that that's what I've, I've learned and what I think you and Melissa and all the staff there now understood. I look at the new space and obviously we want to welcome everybody to our new space. It's our fourth incarnation. It is amazingly beautiful. It was totally designed and created by you young people. I didn't have anything to, to do with that. And yet it carries the same sentiment and, and, and thought of the original Tia Chuchas, 
but also I think of just our, our culture, the way we create things, the way we try to bring color and, and life and vibrancy. It's vibrant. And I think that's what the legacy is. Keep the vibrancy of our community. I've seen too many things that are sterile, too many things that are just void of spirit, too many institutions, edifices, schools that look like that. You know, everything that's created under this capitalist, uh, you know, advanced world is so sterile that the vibrancy of Theotuchus is really the vibrancy of our people, our families. And I think that's what I want to say is the biggest thing. And that's what I know, as you're pointing out, eventually you have to turn over to other people but that they keep that vibrancy going, that they keep that legacy going, that they don't lose that dream of the Chuchas. That to me, and, and they can go all kinds of ways as long as that initial dream stays alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, I, it's interesting that you bring up the resiliency um, aspect of, of this work. And it is, um, it's interesting that it, that it has taken that form that we would have to be struggling all the time to, to, to maintain something that's so necessary, but isn't treated as necessary. And so then we have to struggle for it. And one, it, it's come up actually in, in some discussions with, with other groups here in the Valley who are also coming to, to really appreciate how, um, how inhumane and how, how, how destructive it is to keep people in that, in that um, frame of, 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 existence where you're always struggling and and it requires resilience not to give up to just hang on and to me part of part of the the what we want to see as far as transformation is for is for for these kind of spaces to not have to struggle so much so that we can put more energy not into standing up but to flying you know it's 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 a different it's a different energy and I think that that um, it's it's important, of course, to um, to be vigilant and and know uh, what needs to be done and not give up. But I think the to shift the energy so that we have the spaces supported by, as as Luis was saying, by neighborhood arts policies that actually support this work, so that so that um, the the staff and the leadership don't have to be struggling so much because what, what's, what's being protected is so valuable. To treat it as if it's not, that's the struggle. And so that's part of what we're gonna have to really win over. We need, we need the support to do this, this beautiful work and, and, it, um, and it shouldn't fall on, on people's shoulders so heavily. So anyway, I, but it's a, it's a good question. This, this, we have been resilient, that's true. And, and now it's really time to ask for the kind of support that doesn't, um, that isn't so daunting, make this work so daunting. Wonderful, thank you all so much. Uh, I'm really excited to have folks come out and check out the new location, the new space, 12677 Glen Oaks Boulevard. Uh, please come out. We have, a, a, we have the largest selection of books that we've ever had in the history of the organization. Uh, we have the largest space we have. We have a lot of great programming happening and we're excited for the new year to continue to offer more in this space and make this space our home for the next, uh, who knows how many amount of years uh, before hopefully moving on to our final, our final home. So thank you, Luis and Trini uh, for taking the time and sharing this 
this great history that needs to be shared with everybody um, uh, on how, you know, how to transform communities. Thank you. And I really want to thank me, you personally, Melissa and Michael, yes. for being part of this community, never giving up, staying with us through all these 20 years and now taking it over and doing a wonderful, amazing job. Thank amazing you. Thank you. All right. See you later. Okay. Bye. Thank you again for joining us. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast and follow Tia Chuchas on social media. Please support our online bookstore. You can find the links in our podcast bio. Stay safe, stay creative. Tiawi.